another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King Harold Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, uh, it's going pretty well. You know, we didn't win the in-season tournament, but we uh, we beat the defending NBA champions. We had a nice win against Phoenix. I'm saying we when I'm talking about the Kings, so it's been a decent week. <laughs> Uh, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst. The only person who I think is allowed to say we when it comes to talking about the Kings. Uh, GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the true pride of French League himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, a pleasure to have you. Well, it's great to be with you guys. And yes, I, I think we are doing pretty well. You know, pretty <laughs> well. We hope for more, wish for more, but pretty well right now. You are absolutely right. So we, the fans, and uh, and the team, I guess, are a quarter of the way through the season. They are three and two since last we spoke. Um, just to sum up, Kings clinch an in-season tournament slot, as 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 Tony kind of alluded to. They had a wild comeback uh, um, um, victory against the Warriors that featured a Malik Monk insane off-balance banking in a game winner. Uh, they lost the very next night in an emotionally void game against Clippers. Then they beat the defending champs. They lost their in-season tournament game against the Pelicans and then showed up in Phoenix and beat an unhealthy but dangerous Sun squad. So uh, first, per the usual, um, we're going to go with, uh, guys, what's your opinions on this last two weeks of uh, of Kings drama, of Kings basketball? How do you guys feel like they've done the last two weeks? Well, you know, for me, I, I think they've done fine. I mean, I can say I, I wish a little more. Clearly, they can't beat the Pelicans. We've established that, yeah. but yeah. but it's but it's also true they they beat the team with the best record in the league on the road, Minnesota, and they beat the defending champions at home. So, which what does it tell me? Well, it tells me they can beat anybody in the league, and they can lose to anybody in the league, and we <laughs> we kind of knew that ahead of time. But I think it's more important to know that they can beat the best teams. Yeah. Tony, what about you? From a fan's perspective, how have the last two weeks gone for you? I thought Greg wrote about it uh, on the Kings Herald perfectly in his article called uh, Chasing the Dragon, where it's it, good is not good enough anymore in in regards to like Sacramento Kings conversations last, at least to me, you know, last season, they were winning for the first time we were talking about making the playoffs seeding and things like that. And now it's it's pretty well established that the Kings are a pretty good basketball team. So you're just looking for more. You're looking for like what takes them to the next level. And I feel like I'm still watching these games and waiting and maybe that improvement won't come internally like we had hoped during the offseason. So that's kind of how I feel. I feel good about a good basketball team, but I'm still watching and and waiting for signs that will make me know that this team is like a second-round playoff team or a third-round playoff team, and I, I have not seen those signs yet. So it's a, it's a weird feeling of being satisfied with some decent regular season wins, but also just not seeing the the potential that maybe you want to be there just yet. Yeah, I saw something uh, the other day. It was a graphic that the Kings put out that like this was the best start that the Kings have had since 2005. Or And it was one of those things that I went, oh, I'm kind of slightly disappointed in them this season. Not not that they've done anything wrong. They're playing much better than any other time other than last season of the last 17 years. But it was one of those things that I've almost expected more. And I had to check my gut a little bit there to be like, am I expecting too much 
one season removed from 17 years of, of playoff drought, or is this something that, uh, that no, the Kings are good and they need to be better right now. I, I, I don't know where I land on that one, but uh, the Kings putting out that graphic uh, shook me to my core just a little bit the other day. Well, your core gets shook quite a bit, doesn't it, uh, Will? Uh, <laughs> you know, but but I I will say, I mean, I'm not saying my core was, uh, sh- but I mean, I, I think, I, I guess maybe being older and cynical or whatever, uh, I, I didn't really expect this team, honestly, to be, come out of the box and be the best team in the league and uh, put it, put everybody in fear. I thought it had a chance to be better than it was last year. Uh, I also thought even if it was better, it might be tough to duplicate because of uh, the thing called scouting and healthy opponents and things of that nature. And we've seen some of that. I uh, do. I think this team is better than last year. I think it's got the potential. I don't think it is right now. I mean, particularly, I think, and I'll tell you why. I, th- I think it slipped a notch offensively, but I think I understand why. Uh, teams have scouted the team very well. This team last year did something I said I'd never thought I'd see, is score consistently off made baskets. Well, the, the rest of the league has figured that out, and they're doing a much better job of taking that part of the game away to where really you're seeing the Kings play in the half court a great deal more than you saw last year. And that certainly affected their offense. So, uh, you know, I mean, what does it mean going forward? Well, I think it means that the Kings can adjust to that fact a little bit better and, and maybe even uh, still figure out a way to get some open transition opportunities. But, but, but at the bottom of the line is they're not as good offensively as, as they were. Sure. Tony, I guess I'll ask you this. I was going to ask it a little bit later, but Jerry, you guys have transitioned into it. Perfect. Is this King squad sporting a six seed 12 and eight record? They're ninth in scoring 12th in offensive rating 20th in defensive rating. Is this what you guys expected just full out or is this an, are they over or under underperforming? Jerry kind of sounds like he's about middle of the road there. Jerry, am I right there? Yeah, yeah, you are. I mean, I think the team is, is a little worse offensively, a little better defensively. The bench is probably a little bit better. And overall, they're kind of right there in the middle. I mean, of where <laughs> we thought they'd be. You know, I, I you know, I think we had hoped they might be at this stage slightly better, but to be in the top six, uh, you know, the, I don't think there's any reason to be disappointed at this stage. Uh, you know, they've got some guys playing real well. They've got some guys that are underperforming a little bit. Doesn't mean that'll be that way forever. Uh, same way with the guys that are playing, playing great. It's a ways to go, but as a Kings fan, and I am that, I enjoy the heck out of watching them. They're still the most unselfish team in the league. They try hard. They 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 pull together. Some nights they're just not good enough, and that's why. And that's why you should lose. You're just not good enough. But but most nights they are good enough, and that's that's really encouraging to someone who's watched for a lot of years when they weren't good enough. Period. <laughs> Tony, do you feel the same? Is this a is this a matter of what you expected, or over and under uh, over or underperforming this season so far? I think where they are in the standings is totally fine and expected. Their record is fine and expected. Their their wins and losses, you know, they've won against some good teams. They've lost against some good teams. So 
I think like as a team, they're about where I expected where I am maybe most disappointed through a quarter of the season is that when we talked in the off season about where this team could be better, the biggest point of discussion was around Keegan Murray. Like Keegan Murray can unlock this team. If Keegan Murray is their third best player, the ceiling, uh, it gets higher is if Monty McNair isn't making big splashes in this off season, it's because he believes in Keegan Murray and Keegan Murray's leap. And that we haven't seen. And to me, that is the most important thing. And I, and I don't want to be too harsh on Keegan Murray. Cause I think in some areas defensively, he's gotten much better rebounding much better. Uh, and even offensively, there are, there are parts of his game that he's doing well, if not better, but at the end of the day, and Jerry said this last podcast, Malik Monk is still the third best player on this team. I think that is still the truth right now. And I guess I, I just hoped that Keegan Murray would take that spot from everyone else, make it not a question. And in some ways, maybe it just boils down to his three-point shooting, which is kind of tanking his offensive numbers across the board because he's really shooting his twos just fine. He's getting to the free throw line and shooting that just fine. His numbers elsewhere are just fine. Can't shoot right now, which is very bizarre. And just so to answer the question, Will, the, the part that disappoints me is that Keegan Murray hasn't made that leap yet which I do think would change the conversation around this team. If they had a third star, I think, you know, the Kings become uh, a lot more dangerous in the playoffs, a lot more dangerous in the regular season. And that hasn't happened yet. And it's still early enough that I, if you made me like place a bet, I think it will. I think Keegan Murray does still figure it out, but it has not happened immediately. Like we hoped, uh, like we thought. And like Keegan Murray has kind of proven in the past that he has really uh, nailed every step of his development along the way until now to me, there's like, you're just waiting for him to not be a 13 point per game guy. We were expecting, or at least myself, you know, 16, 18 point per game this year, really being the third best player on the team. And I haven't seen that yet. So we'll, we'll run over to, uh, to Keegan a little bit later as we go through, I've got player grades ready for you guys. I want to get you guys opinions on all of the, uh, the bigger players here on the Kings. Um, but I want to start first with, uh, with Fox winning another Western conference player of the week. Uh, Jerry, Tony, this is going to end up being a weekly segment. I, I'm almost certain of it, where I just yeah. have to flat out ask you time and time again every two weeks. Is it time for the national media to start considering Fox an MVP candidate? I know that uh, Coach Brown had mentioned the other day that uh, I think this was true at the time that Fox was the only two-time Player of the Week award winner and that he needs to be considered uh, seriously as an MVP candidate. Is this something that you guys do? Do you guys consider him that? Is he a legitimate contender a quarter of the way through the season? I think he is. I mean, I really do. I mean, he's, uh, you know, the best player on a winner. He was last year. His statistics are, he's very productive and uh, probably the most important. Uh, he's become a better than average defender and uh, he's really good in the, down the stretch clutch, clutch of the games. And uh, that's what you expect of a most valuable player, uh, not just to put up empty stats, but to get them, when they count. And I think he's an epitome of that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's five or six guys that you can at least that you could put in there, but if you don't have him as one of those five or six, I don't think you're being fair. Sure. Tony, what about you? Yeah. I was just recently looking at uh, some MVP ladders and projections from people who have written about MVP uh, conversations recently and the NBA.com doesn't have him in their top 10. So they're making a mistake there. Um, I think he has to be in the conversation at the same time. I'm not, faulting anyone who doesn't have him one i probably don't have him one and if you didn't have him in the top five i think that's fine too uh just because of where the kings are at they've kind of been a middle of the road western conference playoff team so far but he is closing out games as well as anyone it's so clear that they're worse when he's not on the floor 
Uh, they need him desperately um, every night. So I don't know how you get more valuable than he has been to this team this year. Okay. So I want to jump right into the games here um, that we've missed over the last uh, two weeks, just so we can get talking to those and jump into player grades. So um, the Warriors game is the first one that comes up uh, day after our last podcast. Kings come from 20 plus points down. They force some late turnovers from Draymond Green. They get some late game magic from Leak Monk to, to win a game and clinch an in-season tournament appearance. Um, I know it's nearly two weeks ago, but can you guys talk about the impact of that game or, or how you guys felt watching that game against the Warriors? Well, for most of the game, I felt pretty nauseous, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's what I love about the NBA, you know, with the three-point shot and everything, uh, just no leads are safe. And certainly the Kings have been on the other side of that. But that's, yeah. you know, that's the old deal of, well, you know, 12-point lead, you ought to be able to hold it. Well, of course not. you got a 24-second clock and three-point shots. You missed, you know, it It just doesn't. But it was great to see, I guess, the joy of winning was even, to me, was probably less than just watching the Warriors gag it away, <laughs> you know. And they did. They just, they just, just <laughs> slobbered all over themselves. It was a wonderful sight to see. I, I loved the win. I had the same thing in my notes as Jerry. They were down 24 points and they came back and won. I There was one weird thing about that game that is kind of tempering my excitement about it. And that is that the Warriors did, in my opinion, kind of choke the game away, chasing the point differential. Because if they could have just bled the clock out and won the game as if it was a regular season game and probably won. But because they needed to beat the Kings by 12, you had early clock three pointers. They were jacking up shots to try and close that deficit. And I, to me, it ended up costing them the game, which is just another a weird wrinkle about these in-season tournament games is that when you have that point differential, teams are maybe behaving in ways that they wouldn't normally. So it was a good win. I'm glad the Kings finally beat the Warriors. I'm glad they could knock them out of a tournament because the Warriors knocked the Kings out of the playoffs last year. But I did have that in my mind that, hmm, would the Kings have won this game if it wasn't, if they didn't need to close like a 12-point point differential to advance? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I guess I'll take the win uh, if they want to give it to us. You know, the other thing, too, that I, 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 at least when they, they had the Curry, I guess, Mike, and at one point there, they were up pretty good. And he was saying, oh, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's win this thing by more than 20 or something like that. <laughs> and I thought, okay, big boy. Uh, you know, I mean, now Curry can pull off. I mean, Curry's capable of pulling off and backing up his words, but he's saying that to a lot of guys that I'm not sure can anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so I... So I, at the time, I thought, well, wouldn't this be wonderful if uh, this came back to bite him in the ass? And boy, it sure did. Yeah. What did you guys think of that third quarter where it was just basically a 55-minute free throw extravaganza? Did you guys uh, get close to turning it off at any point? Well, it was – well, yeah, it's hard to watch. You know, I mean, it almost reminds you of an NFL game where they got to, you know, look at every play uh, for three or four minutes. And then, and then when they're done watching that and somebody gets injured, but it, you know, free throw line, it just free throws takes fun out of the game, unless it, it's meaningful kind of things. And, and I thought that was, yeah, just overall bad basketball by both teams at, at stretches and, and bad officiating, you know, a lot of little ticky tack stuff. That reminded me of my favorite, uh, Will, your your question reminded me of my favorite part of that whole game, which was that uh, Chris Paul got injured. I'm not happy he got injured, but in between the third and fourth quarter, Chris Paul went to talk to Steph Curry and I think Draymond, and the broadcast made a big deal like, oh, 
Chris Paul must have saw something over in the third quarter from the bench, and he's giving them some advice heading into the fourth quarter, and that was the Warriors' worst quarter of the night, and they ended mm-hmm. up losing the game. So great advice, Chris Paul. Great job. Great insights that you delivered to Curry and Draymond. It was so important that your team blew the game as soon as they they got that advice. So that was my favorite part. Um Obviously, uh, Fox and Sabonis are kind of the the guys here. Sabonis didn't have a didn't have a great game. Nine points, ten assists, eight rebounds. Fox had his regular, and it's weird to say like regular twenty nine point performance, but kind of the standout guy for me in that game, just kind of unexpectedly, was Sasha Vizankov, who came in, played fifteen straight minutes, uh, eight points. He didn't shoot all that well, although every one of his shots it was like, if this one falls, it's going to blow the roof off of the arena. Um, but he also had two really clutch blocks, which, uh, was, it feels like it was the beginning of like the Sasha hype train. Like we could finally say the, the, the train has left the station a little bit and Sasha is starting to play a little bit better. Uh, guys, how do you feel about Sasha Vazankov in that, in that particular game? Well, I, I thought, uh, you know, he was, as you said, I thought he was a real key. I mean, because as you pointed out, I mean, Sabonis was just tolerable. Uh, really if yeah. Fox's 29 was probably the least productive 29. And he's had all year. I mean, I think he had 25, 26 shots, I think. So it was, it was, you know, the monk and, and, and Sasha, I mean, he really did make some big shots that kind of energized him. Uh, obviously he's a guy that's been struggling. I think that kind of was a game that kind of has gotten him going uh, as we've seen here of late. And I think with uh, coach Brown, I think, uh, you know, is starting to say, "Hey, we we got to get this guy on the floor more," and uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe a little. Uh, I won't say quite a coming out party because I think Sasha's going to have one of the, one of the twenty twenty five point game pretty soon. But but it it was a, you know, it's one of those that just kind of warmed uh, those of us hearts a little bit that weren't weren't sure that he was going to make a difference. Tony, what about you? How'd you feel about the way Sasha played against the Warriors? It was a welcome performance because we talked a lot about Sasha in the offseason and we have not seen him have a huge impact, but I thought he was awesome in that game. Uh, We'll talk about what he did against the Suns uh, the other night. I thought he was awesome against the Suns. And I have some other Sasha stats that I kind of pulled that we can talk about during player grades uh, maybe, but I think I'll tell you this, the Sasha hype train has left my station. At least I'll say that I'm, I'm all aboard. I'm ready to uh, say some, I don't know, some things about Sasha that may not may not be uh, good for good for the airwaves. That's how good I feel about him right now. So we'll get to that later. I'm excited for the Tony hot takes here. Yeah, me so too. We'll, we'll, <laughs> he's like, I can't believe we have a stinger for something like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. In 30 minutes, we'll have Tony. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll roll into the Clippers game. Um, Kings obviously come out flat. They're down 22 at half. Basically gets worse from there. Fox had 40, which, hey, that's a positive. Zankoff, who we just talked about, had a second game in a row, being productive. Uh, Jerry, maybe you can start us off uh, by talking to us about what happened there and maybe then how you as a coach try to mitigate the emotions of a team coming off of a win against the Warriors and then the next night having to play a team like the Clippers and then just kind of getting molly walked. You know, it was one of those games that I'd like to say I'm surprised, but I'd I'd had a nice conversation with a former TV producer, our Stephen Rose, who works for the Clippers now. And he was talking about how badly they've been playing and and how everybody's saying they have really got to have a game in Sacramento, you know, yeah. that they, you know, and, and conversely, because we were talking, I said, yeah, and the, and the Kings are coming off such an emotional win. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, if they 
can really get back their A games quick. And of course, they didn't. And in and, and fairness to the Clippers, they did what they needed to do. They've got a lot of talent. And it that was the start, I think, for the Clippers of now look like they got their ship going in the right direction. Finally, yep. uh, you know, which I, doesn't make me happy. But but I guess what I'm trying to say is I wasn't surprised because I know Stevens wired pretty well with that team. And, and if, in fact, you know, you've got those level of players saying we – you know, and feeling like they got to go out and put an A game out there. Don't be surprised if they put an A game out there. It, it feels bizarre to me, Jerry, to hear that it's a quarter of the, of the way through the season, so people are still getting warmed up here. But to have a signature win and it be against the Kings is kind of a strange, like, oh, okay, like we're in a different spot than the last two decades. And that's one. Uh, that, that's wonderful, though, isn't it, really? Yeah, no, it's a great feeling. I just don't like it. It feels yeah. weird. Yes, yeah, <laughs> we, it is. Yeah. Tony, Tony, how do you how did you feel about that Clippers game? Uh, I was disappointed in the moment that they lost, but you zoom out a little bit, and it was easy to see why they lost that game. The back to back part of it is obviously huge. I also think the Clippers kind of re- reminded me of the Pelicans a little bit, just in terms of the matchup problems that the Pelicans gave the Kings. I don't think the Clippers are always going to be an issue, especially because they can't stay healthy a lot of the time. But they got Zubak, just like Valanciunas is big in the paint. Then you've got big wings in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, we're on the Pelicans. You're dealing with Herb Jones and Brandon Ingram. Uh, Harden as a guard is a very big guard to deal with. So there is like some physicality in the Clippers that I could see giving the Kings some problems. So uh, again, I don't think it's as big as an issue as the Clippers made it seem, but there are some, and they're, they're a good defensive team in general. So there's some matchup issues potentially there. Although I, I'd like to see more before I make that call completely. But I do think that, that is a team that could give the Kings some trouble, just looking at how they're built. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'll just go further, step further. They're a team that give anybody trouble because yeah. of just what you said. I mean, really, they got three Hall of Famers for sure on their roster. Not everybody has that. And 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 it looks like they're starting to play together. Harden's obviously a key. And then uh, Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, but Russ – to his credit, Russ does what Russ does. I mean, he just busts his butt every minute he's on the floor. And, uh, yeah, they, they're they scary to me. You know, I think that if they stay healthy, and that's a huge if we know, but it does seem like their rough patch with Harden is is kind of over, It maybe, or at least for the year. <laughs> you know, with Harden is never really over. It's, it's just it's just it's just percolating for the next hard patch. I don't know. Okay, so we'll roll on to uh the Kings come home, uh take on the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Jokic ends up with uh, 36 points, uh a 13 rebounds, 14 assists. Fox winds up with 26 points and 16 assists, which was a career high for him. Sabonis had his third bad night in a row, uh, but goes for 17, 15, and 7, which is amazing to say for a Kings player that that was a bad night. Um, guys, any takeaways from the Kings being the defending champs that night? Well, I thought it was a, a great win. You know, I mean, certainly they don't have Murray, but uh, they've been winning. Now, you know, they're, they're you know they're kind of walking in mud a little bit here lately. I mean, I think, uh, but at the end of it, they're the defending champs, and certainly with – uh, Michael Porter Jr. and 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 all the guys they do have there. Uh, anytime you can beat them, it's a big win. I thought the Kings did enough to do that. I mean, you know, it wasn't, they certainly didn't seem overmatched at any point to me. It's just a really 
really good game. It's like, to me, it was a little bit of a statement in this, just for my eyes to say, okay, uh, I can see where the Kings could beat these guys. I wouldn't bet the farm, of course, or wouldn't even bet the outhouse. But, uh, but anyway, it was, it was nice to see. And, uh, you know, always love to see Mike Malone have a lot of success, but uh, not when they play the Kings. Johnny, how about you? Uh, yeah, this was a, a good win for the Kings. It was the second night of the back-to-back for the Nuggets, too. So I, I feel like that just speaks to where the Western Conference is now, where that can be the difference sometimes with these teams. You know, you get the Kings after a big win against the Warriors. They come out flat against the Clippers. You get Denver after they've been on the road, uh, second night of a back-to-back, and the Kings are good enough to beat them when they're not at, at their best. So that's just the, the Western Conference this year. Um, it, but it was a good win, despite, you know, back-to-back for the Nuggets, no Jamal Murray. But the Kings need to beat some of these elite Western Conference teams. And even if Denver is not playing their best basketball, that is that is an elite team you need to get familiar with and learn how to beat. And they did it. So, Okay, this is the other game I really want to talk about during the stretch of games that we've uh, we've been a part of. Uh, the Kings come in rested for their uh, IST game against the Pelicans. It's at home. They hold Zion Williamson to 10-6-6, uh, but still for the life of them cannot get over that Pelicans hump. Uh, Jerry, what did you see in this game, and and how did the Kings uh, beat a team that has every prototype of every type of forward possible in, in the Pelicans? I feel like the Pelicans have 10,000 forwards, and they're all just different enough to be a different look for the Kings. It's a really tough matchup. I, I agree with you. I mean, and, you know, of course, they, they really had uh, Trey Murphy and uh, McCollum yeah. available this time, which I – you know, there's no reason to believe they're going to be worse because of that, and they weren't. And you know, with the Herb Joneses, and they they've got the big in the middle that's really big and tough for Sabonis to bully. Uh, you know, much like Zubak, uh, you know, those kind of guys that he can play against them, but you're just not going to knock them around. And then with, but more importantly, it's the wings. It's the long wings, I think, that, that create the problems. And and then the, the other problem, and it's 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 maybe a little unique, but I thought I think Alvarado really gets into Fox. Probably <laughs> probably as well as anybody I've seen. And you know, uh De'Aaron probably had his worst handling game by far of the year. I think mm-hmm. he had five turnovers. And so uh right now I see that if if they're healthy and the Kings are healthy, I see a bad matchup. That's what I see. Tony, how about you? Yeah, my my big takeaway from this game, the only thing I really wrote down is that Jose Alvarado, Jose Alvarado, the shit out of the Kings. Like he just gave <laughs> them the full Jose Alvarado experience and the Kings really, it really screwed up their offense. Uh, and to bring it back to like a Kings point, this is who, if Davion Mitchell is going to be a bench guard for this team, you want him to have the Jose Alvarado kind of impact. And unfortunately, we haven't seen it from Davion. I think... We've seen a closer version of that from Keon Ellis this season, um, just being like a defensive disruptor who comes, up, comes in off the bench and, and punishes guards. Not to the, to the degree that we saw Alvarado do it against the Kings, but him as a player is exactly what you want Davion to be. And so I, I kind of watched that thinking like, oh man, we have a guy like that off the bench who's just not having that impact every night. And I wish, I wish he would. So I don't know what is renting Davion from being Jose Alvarado, but man, uh, Alvarado really disrupted everything the Kings are trying to do in this game. That's a great point on Alvarado. You know, I think the one difference is not obviously a lot of differences, but I mean, Alvarado gets it. You know, he knows yes. who he has to be. You know, he's going to be an eight or 10, 15 minute disruptor. 
I've always said it's kind of like a guy I love in, in Indiana, T.J. McConnell. I mean, the guy, uh, you know, he plays 10 minutes and he's good. Every 10 minutes he plays. I don't know how you do that. And, and Alvarado <laughs> finds a way to be good about every 10 minutes he plays. And that's hard. That's hard to find those guys. Yeah. And really, it, you know, with Davion, I think uh, he hasn't come to grips with that. And maybe he can't. But I agree with you, Keon. Ellis is, is certainly uh, kind of understands I got to go out here and make an open shot, fit in, stay all the way of the guys and try to be a good defender. And, and he's doing that. And that's, that's more valuable right now. Okay. So final game um, Kings going to Phoenix, uh, having been knocked out of the in season tournament, uh, coming to the third quarter down double digits, close the gap with a 33 to 12 um, third quarter. Then we see Fox go supernova, scores a career-high 23 points in the fourth quarter. Kings go out with a victory. Guys, what did you guys see with the uh, the Kings playing the uh, oft-injured but still dangerous Suns? Well, you know, I thought it was uh, kind of the Kings game that we're used to seeing a little bit in the sense that the Kings didn't look great early, but Sabonis was really good early, kind of kept them in range, you know, did all the Sabonis-type things. And then, uh, you know, then Fox gets to be in Fox. And then you got some other uh, Sasha chiming in, you know, the third quarter, their defense was good. Uh, you know, it was good win. I mean, we know they didn't have Durant. We know they don't have Bradley Beal, but will they ever have Bradley Beal? They had Booker. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so it's a good win. It's on the road. You beat the Suns on the road. You got a be- team has got a better record i think than the suns are the same so uh who would have thought that at the start of the year so good good win and and i thought good some really good performances obviously just great to see fox be fox again you know he was terrific as we're so spoiled and used to seeing tony how did you uh feel the kings escaping the chemezi metsu revenge game I, I did fear that for a few mo- for a few moments in that game <laughs> metsu had some had some uh had some buckets um it, it that was an, it was a nice one to see for me this was about uh the bench like kind of figuring it out a little bit because it really has been Malik Monk and then maybe you get one other consistent contributor maybe maybe each night you'll get one other guy but you had Keon Ellis who I thought had some like very composed buckets in this game in some big moments Sasha was again I think he, he was uh 14 yeah. points I think was his career high he was awesome in this game off the bench uh, and M- Monk was tremendous again as as usual but Monk had some help and I think that that this the bench can be a strength of this team when they are playing right and it's been a while to me since we've seen a lot of those guys play right at the same time but they pulled it all together in phoenix uh, against phoenix and that was a it was a good win hopefully that bench can carry some momentum now that mike brown has sort of settled on on who his bench guys are going to be um so i guess to, to be determined if they can keep it up but i i came away from that game a little bit more optimistic about what this bench is and everyone kind of knowing their role on it yeah, you know another thing on sasha which i've been impressed he's a lot tougher than i thought maybe he was i mean he's a scrapper he he not great athlete but uh doesn't give an inch and that's really important and and i guess the other thing i've liked is that it really does appear that domas makes sure that sasha gets an open look or two you know and 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 i mean and i think that's very important you know because if he can can get a basket early uh you know, I think he just right now he's at the stage of his career where that's more important to him than it 
needs to be or will be later. Sure. I, I don't want to make this the Sasha Vizankov ep- episode here, but um, uh, he had three steals that game too. I'm curious what you guys think about his defense so far this season in terms of where you thought it might be versus where it actually is this quarter of the way through the season. Well, I think he's, uh, I think he's tricky. I mean, he has good instincts and he's, and he's tough. So, uh, and I think he fools guys. I mean, I think, you know, they think he's, he's doesn't look very athletic and he's not particularly athletic, but he's more athletic than they think he is, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I think, you know, so yeah, I think he's one of those guys that's, you know, gets charged, throws his body in there, you know, uh, you know, puts his body in on the defensive board. Uh, so there's no no reason to think that, in my mind, I, yeah, I, I, so I see a, a way that he can become a, a double-figure scorer off the bench uh, going forward and really uh, kind of fill in the gap that right now that you're not sure you're going to get from Keegan and, and uh, Barnes. You know, that that's very important. Tony, what about you? Is, uh, is Sasha Vizankov not the defensive sieve we all thought he might be? I don't know. I I, have, I struggle with this one because teams are still trying to attack him. And I think in isolation, uh, opportunities, he still does struggle. Like if you put him on an island, he's not going to stay in front of a lot of guys. But he is pretty good off the ball as a team defender. And he is pretty good at reading passing lanes. And he can, you know, poke around for steals and deflections and loose balls. So it's, I don't know. He. I'm not ready to accept that he actually is an okay defender because my expectations from him on that end were so low heading into the year, but he's making, he's making more plays on defense than I thought he would. Even if like on the, on the play to play, I still think he's probably a, a guy that offenses are targeting, but he is making some plays. So I got to give him credit for that. Yeah. I described it to a client that I had recently when we were talking about him as uh, he's a surprising defender. And that's more because I thought he'd be horrible. And he yeah. surprised me by just being kind of bad sometimes. He's not good yet, but uh, he's not he's not as horrible as I thought he'd be. So we're giving him a, a thumbs up for it. Okay. So um, seeing as now it's a quarter of the way through the season, I want to take your guys' temperature about the Kings, uh, about the players, how they've performed in the first quarter of the season. We already started big. You guys have already talked about the Kings as a whole. So we'll kind of whittle it down from there. And we'll go with uh, the coaches. How do you guys think the coaching staff has performed a quarter of the way through the season? Is this what you expected or are they over or underperforming? I guess for me, it's kind of what I expected. Uh, I, I think Mike Brown's a heck of a coach and his staff's good. Uh, you know, do I certainly don't agree with everything, but that doesn't make me right and them wrong. You know, I, I'll, I'll probably go to my grave thinking they've got to find a way to get Harrison Barnes more post-up opportunities. Uh, you know, especially with the high low post possibilities of, and so I'm going to be critical of that, uh, you know, not that that gets Harrison off the hook, but, but I do think that's, you know, that that's there, that's there. But I think with uh, coach Brown, I think he's so good at uh, kind of building up confidence in guys that are struggling. We just mentioned Ellison and Sasha putting them in at certain times, Trey Lyles, you know, JaVale plays more one game, maybe less. But I, I think he's just done a mar- masterful job there of uh, mix and matching, trying to find out who's naughty and nice kind of thing. And, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, so yeah, you know, I, if I was good, you know, I had to give him a grade, I'd give him an A. I, I don't think I'd give an A plus, not like I would have probably last year. 
but uh, you know he 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 is he does not have uh, the most talent in the league. Uh, but so he's to me how one way you can judge a coach is he getting out of as much out of his talents there. I would say yes, he is. Tony, how are you feeling about the coaching staff this, this far into the season? I really have uh, very little negative to say about Coach Brand. I think he's doing an awesome job again. The the one thing I'm kind of monitor, monitoring him with with him that I think is interesting is this team is shooting 10% more threes this year. And to me, that is Mike Brown. Like He wants them shooting threes. If you look at his body language on the bench, he gets upset when they pass up threes. He, he wants them shooting these threes. And I'm just waiting for the moment where either like he's kind of betting on them to start hitting these with volume because they have not been a very good three-point shooting team this year or will he kind of pull it back in rein it in and say hey go to the basket a little bit more like jerry was mentioning with like going to barnes in the post or doing a little bit more uh things getting to the free throw line or going to the basket and he's not wavering yet so that's kind of my mike brown thing like you you've told these guys to shoot a lot of threes they're doing it they're not going in the offense has taken a step back this year do you rein it in or do you wait for them to come around as shooters? I don't know, but that's kind of like the, the Mike Brown conundrum that I'm monitoring. Jerry, I'm curious. Do you think that the uh, the offense taking a step back, is that more just personnel not hitting shots? Or is that more a scheme that they're learning or trying to get used to kind of messing with their rhythm? Because it seems to be, it's not just Kevin Herter, but Keegan's obviously taking a step back. Some really, really good shooters all not shooting up to their standards. But then we have a Fox who's shooting a career high in terms of his, his three point ability. Yeah. It's uh, I, I do think it's a combination of things. As I mentioned earlier, I, they're not getting as many easy transition shots, especially easy threes in transition as we saw last year. Well, that's, that's part of, it. so that means they're still shooting a more threes, which means they're shooting more half court threes. Well, generally that's a little more contested threes. So that's going to affect the percentage. And that's why I say, I just think they've got to find a way to get more things going to the basket. Uh, so a few more post-ups in there because often, and I don't know how you guys feel, but it, it seems to me that often we're seeing Sabonis at the high post and four guys standing around on the outside other than, you know, other than Fox trying to break somebody down or, or possibly Malik. Uh, but it's uh, just too many stationary people. And uh, so I've always said that to me, I, I, every time I see the game, I, I end up, you know, kind of thinking now on those dribble handoffs when, when they're not there, why doesn't, why isn't Harrison cutting to the basket every time, not with the idea of getting the ball, but posting up underneath, you know, just sure. things like that. Uh, you know, it's like, as opposed to, you know, okay, dribble handoff when there will, then we'll throw it to the, the other guy on the wing. And then if, if he's not open, then he throws it to another guy on the wing. <laughs> and so, so anyway, that's, that's my, that's my take on it. And, uh, you know, but I, I, I do think that they've got to get a little more creative in the half court because they're playing more in there. You know, it, it's, it, it's going to happen. And I just don't believe they're going to be able to get those easy transition threes as many as they got last year. Sure. Okay. We'll roll through some players. now uh, we talked a bit about Fox in the beginning. Do you guys have anything else for Fox? You can give him a grade if you want to um, how Fox has played a quarter of the way through the season. Well, I'd say he's, if there's an A plus he ought to get one. And, and I mean, he's one of the five or six and you can judge it however you want, whether it's, 
Chad Gugas Alexander, uh, Fox, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Trey Young, Luka Doncic. Uh, you know, uh, he's one of those guys. And you can make the case he's, he's the best. You can make the case he's fifth best, I guess, too. Uh, because that, but those that's a group of super talented young players. And he, and for anybody in the national media not to have noticed that by now, they're just, they're, that, that's incompetence on them, really. 100%. Tony, how about you? Any final thoughts on Fox before we go on? I guess the only thing we didn't mention with him is that his defense is better this year too. He's actually been a positive defensive player on the court for the Kings and he wasn't before. So yeah, for as the highest grade you can give somebody, give it to De'Aaron Fox. He's been, uh, he's been everything for this team. Okay. So moving off from Fox, then um, let's go to the, uh, the, uh, the second best player on the Sacramento Kings, uh, Demonis Sabonis guys. How do you feel Sabonis has played a quarter of the way through the season? I, he hasn't been as good as last year. Uh, I don't think it's a, a lot different. I mean, I think we got so used, or I did, uh, spoiled, basically. But he's had a few uh, games where he hasn't been particularly effective, which almost never happened last year. And his uh, shooting percentage is down. His uh, offense is down a little. His rebounding is pretty similar, but, you know, so he's down. So, you know, I'd have given him an A-plus last year at this time, but I'd probably be more in a solid B uh, just just because of uh, more than anything, just because of uh, a couple of just really poor games that he's had. And uh, there again, I think uh, scouting is part of it. But, uh, you know, I – you know, I, I just think he's got to got to look for his offense a little more. We're seeing that a little more lately. You know, where he'll take a three, not bad out there. Really should take a couple every every game. And but it's those fifteen footers that he turns down. I think is still the biggest mistake. Where you know the defenders are giving him giving him twelve fifteen footers. Got to take them, take them and chase them. You know. Tony, we're judging Sabonis on a two thumb curve this year. How do you feel he's done so far? Yeah, well, if he, yeah, that's a good point, Will. On two thumbs, he should be much better than he is right now because he was so good last year. No, I think Sabonis has been pretty. I mean, Sabonis is who he is at this point. I think he gives a lot of centers a really hard time with his energy and his running of the floor. At the same time, there's centers that are going to uh, give him a harder time, and I don't think anything has really changed there with Sabonis. So, you know, he's still an engine for this offense. Uh, still a huge part of what the Kings are doing. I, I will be interested. I don't know if you guys have an opinion on this yet. If he's an all-star again this year, just with how the West is and the centers in this league, it, he might not make it. And that's not to say he should or shouldn't deserve it. Cause you know, like Jerry said, he probably is a little bit less impactful than he was uh, last year, but I'm, I still, you know, largely no complaints for Sabonis. He's very, very good in a, in a huge part of this team, but will he make an all-star team this year? I, I don't know. I would lean no. If you asked me to answer today. Yeah, it's a curious one. I think that Fox's star burning just that much brighter this season maybe maybe dims him out just a little bit. Jerry, I'm curious, what do you think? Do you think Sabonis at this point uh, could make an all-star game or will make the all-star game based on what he's done? Well, he could, uh, but also, I mean, I think, say, like Rudy Gobert is having a, a really, yeah. really good year, and so that's one more center. You know that, you know, Jokic is going to be there and, and, and probably Anthony Davis, you know, who's – Certainly, Fox or excuse me, Sabonis has had uh, good games against him, but but uh, you know certainly most most teams would uh, without a doubt take Davis uh, when he's playing at his best. So so I see those three centers 
over him. I'm not sure who else. Uh, I mean, Zubak is having a good year. Uh, Valanchunas is having a good year. I don't think they're consistently as good as uh, Domas. So, but to answer your question, could he make it short? The reason he could is if the team keeps winning and the fact he's been an all-star and there's always a, a little bit of carryover for that, sure. you know, justified or not, you know, it's the old stars get the call kind of thing. <laughs> Okay, we're going to roll over to a guy who we've talked a little bit about already. He's the uh, coming into the season. We were hoping he'd be the third best player on this team. Hasn't really worked out that way. Um, Keegan Murray, how have you guys felt Keegan Murray has uh, performed in this uh, in this portion of the season? Well, you know, he's uh, he's better defensively. He's rebounding better, in my opinion. Uh, offensively, especially the deep ball, just hadn't been there. Uh I think there's reasons. I, I don't think he's gotten the same quality of shots. And and part of that's on him. I think he's settled for tougher shots. Uh, but, but I mean, he has worked hard, not only on defense, but uh, getting to the basket, trying to, you know, trying to shoot some mid-range shots. Just so all in all, I'm confident, I guess, in him and the way he's headed. But overall, his, his year... It's still actually probably better overall than it was last year at this time. Now, as fans, we think in terms of how he was at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, but it, he, it simply is not the case. You know, he's so other than making three-point shots, he's a better player. Uh, you know, and, and so overall, I'd say he's, have, he's better than he was last year. Uh, I think uh, you just need to keep in perspective of where he was in his first 20 games last year. I think that's a great point, Jerry. It's one of those things that I've tried to grade him on a very heavy curve all season long, just because I know that he'll be a part of this team for a very long time. And this being just a second year, I've kind of given him just like, a, you know what, you're going to get an A regardless, just go out there and like mess around and see how quick you can become a star. Because I think that's what the Kings need more than anything. Where some of these vets, it's like, no, I need you to do very specific things for me to be okay with you. Keegan, he's such untapped potential in a certain way that I'm happy with him just, sure, pump fake and, and pull up for a mid-range. Sure, hit a little Dirk turnaround fadeaway. Just just go out there and figure out what you need to do for the Kings to be a championship contender in the next three or four years. But t Tony, are you are you grading on the same curve or are you, uh, are you pretty finite in what he needs to do? No, I think I think that's fair. And it's a, it's a good point and one I honestly hadn't, totally considered because even if you would say you know at the beginning the first 25 percent of last season maybe he was giving you one and a half two more three pointers a game he definitely wasn't defending the opposing team's best offensive player every night which he is right now and he's been doing it all year long so defensively the leap to me has been pretty dramatic and offensively he's been worse as a shooter but not really worse anywhere else so it's a, it's, he's a weird one for me to grade. Like I, I would say he's somewhere in the, in the B range. Cause we, we talk about defense all the time and I feel like I'm a hypocrite if I don't value his improvements that he made there. Cause he has, he's, he's an awesome defender and the best one on this team, uh, at least as a wing on the perimeter. So there's been really good defensive moments. I wish his offense was better only because this team has taken a step back offensively. And I feel like him being better would push them back to where they were in addition to giving him their, giving him the better defense that he has given them. So I, I remain not worried while still wanting for him to be a better offensive player than he has been this year. 
Yeah, I, I mean, too, the, you know, we always talk about it all the time, and, I, and I'm certainly guilty of it. I mean, I do think he needs to be the third best player on his team for them to really take a step. Well, he isn't right now. And uh, whether he'll get to that stage uh, by year's end, I don't know. I, I know he could. But, but you know, the other thing, one other last thing I'd say, you know, I remember the first part of the season last year, he didn't, never got a rebound. True, yeah. You know, I mean, he just didn't yeah. get any. Now he's a pretty pretty darn good rebounder and uh, puts his body in there. So, yeah, I think he's a better player. He just isn't a better three-point shooter at the moment. I'll give some stats here only because I just looked it up. Through 20 games, I guess I'll say through 19 because he missed that first game uh, last season. Uh Keegan averaged 10.6 points. He averaged uh, 31% um, from from the three-point uh, line on 5.6 attempts. Shot less than 40% overall. So now he's sitting there at 12.3 at points. He's still not shooting all of that well from three-pointer, but uh, at 29.8%, at 39.4% overall from his field goal. So he's basically putting up just slightly better than his first 20 games last year. I guess maybe this is a case he could be just a slow starter with a much, much bigger role this season than last. Okay. So we'll roll on to uh, to Malik Monk then, who is the third best player on the Sacramento Kings right now. Guys, how do you feel like Malik Monk has been uh, through a quarter of the season? He's, uh, well, I, I mean, he is who he is. He's uh, one of the best three or six point sixth man of the year for sure. Uh, like say third best player on this team. I don't think that's even debatable. Uh, you know, brings energy every night. Just got huge cojones, uh, yeah. you know, uh, even nights, uh, decent defender and definitely a, a, a much improved playmaker from a couple of years ago. Uh, really, really can make plays. I, he probably makes plays as well as Fox, uh, truthfully, uh, that's why you could play those guys together, uh, and they do play them together. But anyway, yeah, I mean, nothing but good things. Winner. I mean, just uh, you know, he's he's kind of like De'Aaron. You know, he he'll gladly take the big shot. No, might miss it, but there's no there, there's no uh, choke there. I mean, he's <laughs> he's he, he fully expects to make them. To me, Malik Monk might not be an A plus player overall but he is an a plus player in his role this season for sure i don't know how you do what he's tasked with doing better than he's doing it and he's also you know we talk about him coming in off the bench but he's a very consistent crunch time player for mike brown too he's making huge plays at the end of games not just you know through the course of the game off the bench uh his clutch scoring has been awesome this year uh his three-point shooting is career high i don't know if that's going to keep up because his threes are it's weird. There's, we've talked a lot about Kings three-point shooting. Malik Monk, no one takes more difficult threes to me than Malik Monk, but he's hitting. He's been the best shooter on the Kings team this year. So, And he's one of the few guys who can do it pulling up, whereas a lot of the shooters we talk about in the Kings are more like spot shooters. Malik Monk will pull up from distance at any moment, and at this moment, at least, he's hitting a lot of them. So I could not be happier with what Malik Monk is doing this year. We talked about him in the last podcast and the contract that's still looming for me. He's a free agent at the end of the year. He's only getting more expensive. He's only looking better. So uh, I'm happy for Malik Monk, but I'm I'm nervous at the same time because he's he's having an excellent year, the best of his career by far. Okay, we're going to roll through to uh, the other shooting guard on the Kings who maybe isn't having his best year. Um, Kevin Herter, how do you guys feel Kevin Herter has played so far? 
Well, I think he's been a full notch below last year. I think I think part of it is, you know, he's had the slow start, just terrible slow start, even through preseason and early season. Credit to Mike Brown staying with him because he uh, did get some big shots out of him and he's had some good games. Uh, I, I'll say the one thing where he's much improved, rebounding. He's done a nice job on the board for, for a guard. I mean, he puts himself in there. Uh, where the contact is so I but but overall I you know he's definitely not playing at the level he played last year yeah to me I, I don't have a whole lot to add there the rebounding is nice he has been worse I think Monk is eating into his minutes even more and and that was happening last year too where Monk was closing out a lot of games but now Herter is is really riding the bench for a lot of these crunch time minutes in in uh with with Monk taking a spot which is deserved it's a it's a smart move by Brown uh, Monk deserves those minutes but Herder to me last year, I had felt like he was almost uh, irreplaceable in in him in the backcourt with Fox. I thought like Fox had had so many backcourt mates and it seemed like we had finally found one in Herder who was the perfect combination for what Fox needs as a, as a shooting guard. And to me now, Herder becomes a little bit more expendable. And part of that is him playing worse. Part of it is, you know, Monk playing so well and taking up all the most important minutes that Herder play anyway. So that's kind of my feelings on Herder now. He's, he hasn't been terrible. He's been decent, but he, to me, he, the likelihood of trading him is much uh, higher this year than it was last year. It, he just doesn't seem to be having the impact uh, that he did last year when the Kings really, really needed his contributions. Yeah, Jerry, I guess I'll ask you, um, Tony um, talked about impact. How do the Kings get more of an impact out of Herder, where he just seems to be lesser than he was last year? Is this totally scheme? Is this him just failing to make shots at the beginning of the season and being phased out? How do they bring him back? No, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I do think it's scheme. I think you really have to help him get shots. I don't think he's a, you know, you know, Fox and Monk are the only two guys that really can consistently go get a shot. I think. Uh, uh, other guys, you know, you know, kind of do it differently, but, but yeah, I think, you know, the dribble handoff hasn't been as efficient this year, partly, you know, two, two pronged. I mean, defensively it's, I think it's being played a little better, denied a little better as well as uh, he's not making shots as well. <laughs> and so uh, it's, and that was his kind of his thing. You know, I mean, you really counted on get, him getting about four baskets a game off of dribble handoffs. And uh, so what can they do differently? You know, I, I here again, I, I guess the only thing I'd say if I'm if I'm Mike Brown, I might be thinking in terms of a few play sets since you're in a half court, you know, like with a herder, little pin downs and things are, where he can, you know, get a screen pin down or curl off of it, things of that nature, not just the just the the screen you know screen assist kind of thing so uh i mean i, I think it's it's going to be by uh just degrees i mean this team needs to find a little bit of way to get better in the half court and that to do that probably means that barnes and keegan murray and herder have got to get better in the half court i mean really yeah. <laughs> if you can and if you can figure out a way to get a couple of them better in the half court then I think it's really going to show up, you know, in record wise. You uh, you mentioned Harrison Barnes. We're going to roll over to Harrison Barnes, who is scoring his, the uh, the least amount since his last year in Golden State. He is kind of the uh, pariah of the King season for a lot of Kings fans. 
Um, how do you guys feel like uh, Harrison Barnes has done in this uh, in this first quarter of the season? Boy, it's interesting now because pretty much the numbers are good, except there's just not enough of them. I, guess. <laughs> I mean, it's strange. I mean, it's like, yeah, his uh, scoring efficiency, really, other than Sabonis, he's the best. Yeah. Now, but then again, if you shoot three times, you're not going to score 15 points. I, I, I know you guys aren't strong in math, but you can see that how that would be yeah. tough. And I mean, and I think that's to me that's it in a nutshell. I mean, with he's not a guy that's going to force things. He really isn't a great uh, creator off the dribble. Uh, not that he ever was, but he's a little less so now. I think. So here again, I think Coach Brown probably needs to. If, if you're going to play Harrison Barnes a lot of minutes, and I think they need Harrison, they don't have – you might play him less, but you got to have him more involved than he is. You know, he, you, you know he's got to figure out a way to get to the line a little more, uh, get involved in the offense a little more. Uh, and, and if that, that happens, then the team is better. Uh, and, you know, I think we all agree. Uh, one thing about Harrison is there's not, there's not one ounce of selfishness in him. He's not, no. you know – it's it's it, he's like Domas of anything. He is too unselfish. He needs to look for his game offensively a little more, but I don't think he'll do that. I think it, uh, he is who he is, and it's almost a team thing. Harrison, damn it, we're going to get you a shot here. We're looking for <laughs> you to score in this situation. That that sort of thing, and uh, to kind of because I think his teammates respect him so much, they they certainly would be happy to see that that part of the offense maybe being exaggerated a little bit do you think there's any chance jerry that the kings are looking to make a switch up there and bring uh barnes off the bench or do you feel like this is the scheme this is exactly how the kings planted out that harrison be the the fifth option on the floor and just kind of get those those buckets wherever he can i think you know i you know i think coach brown's one of those guys that uh you know he'll go the extra mile with veteran players you know and i always thought that was a great strength of rick adelman as well if you're going to change up much with veterans, you need to be right. Sure. And so uh, I, I could see more likely Harrison's minutes being cut like Herter's, you know, Keegan's maybe, uh, you know, I don't think Keegan so much, but, but I, I can see that if they don't get a little more production and trying to get a little more production out of Sasha Lyles, there's a couple ways to go there. Sure. And, and, and I think they're, you know, I mean, I think, I wouldn't be surprised to say in 20 games from now that both those guys are playing as many minutes as Harrison, if, if he can't kind of find a way to be more impactful. Sure. But I guess my answer to your question is I'm jumping around here is if that's the case, would they take him out of the starting lineup? Well, they could, but that probably wouldn't even be necessary. Sure. You know, I mean, it's kind of like Herter and Monk as long as Monk plays 30 plus minutes, that's what really counts. And, and that he's on the floor uh, down the stretch of games. Tony, how do you feel uh, Harrison Barnes has done? This is kind of, I guess, the fear with Harrison Barnes as better players get acquired by Monty McNair and, and enter the spot in rotation that he is just seems very okay with just sliding down the hierarchy on offense. And it's, it's tough because on one hand, that's it's nice, I guess. Like you want players to recognize who they should be taking more shots from who like when they should be shooting, when they shouldn't be shooting. But Harrison Barnes to me, just his numbers are down. Well, his opportunities are down. His volume is down. 
And he seems totally okay with that. And that's, I guess, the part that is a, most frustrating. Uh, and maybe that'll change. It's only, it's been 25% of the season, but it's also only been 25% of the season. Things will change. Um, I guess my my biggest uh, negative on Harrison Barnes is that there have been moments this year where players have been injured and there have been moments where you could use more from Harrison Barnes. You want more points. The opportunities were there. And even on those nights, we really didn't see an increased volume from Barnes. So I guess that's my biggest criticism in what has been like not a very good year for him so far. Uh, but it's not in Harrison Barnes's personality to like say, give me more shots, give me the ball. And I wish he had a little bit more no. of that in him. So I really don't know what I am expecting to turn around because this is kind of who Harrison Barnes is. Okay, so we're going to roll over to the bench. Guys, we've talked about Sasha Vizankov maybe too much. We've got guys like Trey yeah. Lyles, Davion Mitchell, Keon Ellis. Do you have any opinions on anyone off of the bench uh, that we haven't talked about or you want to highlight a little bit more on? Well, probably Trey Lyles. You know, I, I think I think he's a guy, you know, that could have a, more of an impact, and we've seen it little bits and pieces. Uh, but I think he's got quite a bit of talent, you know, and I think when we just talked about Harrison – to me, he might be the guy that takes a lot of those minutes because, uh, you know, he he isn't afraid to shoot the ball. He'll shoot the ball. He's got open shots. You know, he's got a little uh, he got a little spunk in him. You know, uh, and uh, you know can play a couple positions. So I I could see him. You know, maybe even more than Sasha, uh, role getting a little bigger. I, I mean, I, I but I could see between the two of them taking. Uh, taking some of Harrison's minutes for sure. And, and that, so, so that's, that's that. And I think they're both capable differently. You know, they're such different players, but I, I do like the idea of, I just think Lyles is a, is a bit of an underrated player. Yeah. Tony, what about you? Anyone off the bench you want to highlight? Uh, the one last thing I'll I'll say, and I, I am going to go back to Sasha. Uh, this is just some something that I pulled, and it's early. The numbers are, you know, it's early in the season, small sample size, all of that. But the Kings as a team shoot so much better when Sasha is on the court. And part of that might just be luck. It's early in the season. Sample sizes are weird. But the team shoots 8.8% better as a team just having Sasha on the court. It is the biggest increase of any player on the Kings right now. The team as a whole shoots better when Sasha's on the court more than anyone else. And I I don't think it's that much of an accident because when you look at, and we've talked about how this offense this year has gotten a little bit worse. It's a little bit stagnant. A lot of guys are waiting for shots. To me, Sasha is the best player on this team moving without the ball. He's also very underrated in transition, getting up and down the court. And I think that does sort of uh, get the offense loose again, having Sasha out there. So I'm not ready to say that Sasha should be the guy to start for Harrison Barnes. But I think if he puts a couple more good games like this together and the offense continues to look that much more dynamic when he's on the court because of his off-ball movement, and he's obviously a, a floor spacer and a very dangerous three-point shooter, if his defense can come around and these numbers kind of hold and this team continues to be a more dynamic offensive team just by nature of having a guy on the court who's going to move all the time... Uh, I guess that's like a pre-take that, that I, I may soon be calling for Sasha to start because I, I, you know, just looking at some of his advanced stats and what, what the team is doing when he's on the court, they, they have kind of, they do kind of return to the dangerous offense. They were last year when Sasha's out there with the rest of the team. That's not, you know, the credit doesn't only go to him for that, but I do think there might be something there to this team being a little bit more interesting on offense when Sasha is there running around like a, like a maniac. One thing about it, Sasha that I get a kick out of, 
I don't know that I've ever seen anybody with a quicker trigger than that guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I always used to kid, you know, when I, you know, years ago when I played dice, I said, it feels like leather, shoot it. I'm not sure he even feels the leather. It's gone. <laughs> That's great. Okay. The only thing I want to ask uh, from the bench is, guys, what are we doing with Davion Mitchell? What, where, where do the Kings go with Davion Mitchell as, he, as, as the current player that he is? Is he trade bait? Is he somebody that you just hope if an injury comes around that he can jump back into the starting lineup and be ready? Or, or are we just are we just sitting him on the end of the bench to languish forever? Well, you know, I I mean, of course, I, I think he's an NBA player and I think the best is ahead. Now, I'm just not sure it's here. I'm really not. Uh, I mean, I, I would think if you're going to make moves in the middle of the year, uh, he's a guy that probably has to be mentioned. The reason being... As uh, Ellis, looks like he can give you what you wanted Davion to. Well, Colby Jones is a guy that you think can do a lot of the same thing eventually. Yep. Don't know that, uh, have no clue. But uh, so, yeah, on that basis, if, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, as it's currently constructed with the guard minutes, uh, if Keon's playing, uh, Davion's not likely to play. I mean, I don't, you know, like I said, it's, it's just not little league. Everybody don't get play three innings, you know. <laughs> Tony, what about you? What do you think Davion ends up uh, doing with the Kings? I, I don't think I'm breaking any news here by saying he's he's got to be the most likely to be traded by the deadline. Just the fit has not worked. Jerry mentioned Keon took his spot, and it's not. I mean, Keon is producing better than Davion too. It's not just like Mike Brown prefers this guy. Davion had a great opportunity at the beginning of the year. The numbers just were not there. Keon had an opportunity and he performed much better. So it's it's unfortunate. I don't like it. I, I like Davion Mitchell as a player uh, quite a bit. I like what he can do on defense, but it just it's not working here. Okay, uh, final question before we wrap it up. Um, what are you two looking for between now and the All Star break from the Kings? What what differences? What 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 looks are you trying to go for? What do you see different between now and the All Star break? Well, the only thing for me, I mean, I think they got to get better offensively. I mean, I think they, they're putting in good effort on defense. They have improved, but I think offensively. So how's that happen? Uh, Keegan has got to get get going a little bit. You either got to find a find a way to get some more something more out of Harrison or limit his time and try to find it other places. And and so, but but to me, obviously, the record is going to be the record. And that'll tell you a lot. But this team right now, see, it's, it's basically under, I think, slightly under winning margin. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm telling you long term, that don't work. Yeah. <laughs> History proves that. So, and I think the easiest way for this team to uh, get to a winning margin is offensively. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. they're capable of scoring six, seven points more a game. And, and they need to. So, I guess that's what I'd be looking for. Tony? Yeah, my my answer wouldn't be too different from that. I think, Will, you actually made me more optimistic that Keegan will turn it around as a shooter when you mentioned how cold, I guess, he started last year. For some reason in my memory, I thought he was a, a better shooter at the beginning of the year. But I, so it, it's that. It's watching Keegan turn himself around. And I, 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 I mean, we've talked about Sasha so many times. I'll just say one more time. I'm watching this part very closely with him it feels like he's like right there he's about to have a moment jerry said it earlier one of these days he's going to break out for 25 points i think i think that's coming so just seeing if sasha can solidify himself as 
a consistent rotation player for Mike Brown and and kind of back up Monk as a real, you know, every night we're getting points on this guy off the bench type player. So that's what I'm watching. I'm watching Keegan and I'm watching to see if this Sasha run right here is is legit. Okay, Tony, we're going to roll over to you for Patreon question of the day. Thanks, Will. Uh, on every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons. You can submit questions on the website, on patreon.com slash King's Herald, on Twitter. Uh, and once a week, or sorry, once a month, if you don't hear your question uh, answered on this main show, we record a Patreon exclusive Q&A where you will hear all the leftover questions. And sometimes the questions get a little weird with this being a, uh, I don't know, we're the last episode until we record again uh, before christmas we'll get a little weird this question comes from the purple and black pill it is christmas based um but he wants to know jerry what player or king's colleague over the years was the most fanatically into christmas on the other hand who was the biggest grinch <laughs> does anything come to mind well i i i would say i'm pretty sure that i'd be the biggest grinch uh <laughs> Because okay, I had a lot of Grinchness in me. It's just, uh, you know, you know, once the kids grew up, it just, you know, and like I say, it was up to me. I'd never put up Christmas lights. Mrs. Reynolds is out there. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, she's out there getting them up, you know. Uh, but so that and the tree, you know. But anyway, but I, I kind of go by the Bill Russell concept. If for something you want buy you buy it yourself <laughs> yeah. uh you know because you're going to be paying for it anyway uh so so now as far as a guy that seemed to really be into christmas who would that be uh you know that uh well it wouldn't have been j will or c webb or uh, I'm trying to think who who it wouldn't have been as much as who it would have been. Uh, gosh, that that is a tough one. Uh, you know, I mean, most of the guys, I'd say the majority, pretty much into it. Uh, you know, I, I I do think that. I always the only one I kind of remember, kind of talking about it a lot, and and with his father was Kevin Martin. Okay. You know, you know that they you know, we're counting on time together and family and things like that. So I, I don't necessarily think he was, but that's one that comes to mind. And certainly uh, Kevin, you know, small town guy, good guy, good family, you know, and uh, had those, had those values, bless his heart. Now he may be a Grinch like me, but now I don't know. Will, uh, who who gives off the biggest Christmas vibes to you watching this team for? And then like, who's the biggest? Who would you think would be the biggest Grinch? I have some. Ooh, that's an interesting question here. Uh, I mean, hmm. let me let me think here. I mean, I uh, I think honestly, I think Sabonis is probably big into Christmas. I mean, he's at least a big gift giver. I know he's 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 the guy who's who's kicking the ball around. He feels very unselfish. He feels like he'd give really nice nice gifts to everybody. Um, I'm like Jerry. I'm a Grinch, though. I don't like Christmas, and I don't really, I don't really get haters vibes from any people on uh, on the Kings this year. I could, I could see, uh, I could see Keegan being like, "That's nah, just another holiday," <laughs> but, but like that would be <laughs> those, those would be my two. Well, well Keegan is one of those guys that yeah, you'd like to have pictures of him <laughs> opening gifts because you wouldn't be able to tell if he liked it. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I could think of was uh. I always thought like DeMarcus Cousins would do that Christmas shopping thing every year. And 
it was just like seeing him in those and who knows? I mean, it's a video, so whatever. But just going from the guy on the court that, you know, DeMarcus Cousins to be to seeing DeMarcus Cousins interacting with kids around Christmas time. I mean, what do you you don't expect him to be mean to kids, I guess, in like Toys R Us. But it was still just a, I don't know. He reminded me of a I, I just seem like Boogie likes himself some Christmas. I think that's very fair. I think he did. I think you're really right there. I mean, Boogie, the the good part of Boogie came out. Yeah, there you go on Christmas. In those kind of yeah, circles, yeah. you know, that's sort of so it's a real credit to him. But yeah, he, you know, he liked kids and kids liked him. And uh, you know, uh just too bad a lot of teammates did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I will say too, Tony, that if we had gotten a video of Demarcus Cousins being mean to kids during Christmas at Toys R Us. I'd have absolutely loved it. It <laughs> yeah. would have been my favorite thing in the world is to watch Demarcus Cousins be like, "You can't get that." Yeah, blocking blocking kids from from putting Barbies in the cart and everything else like that. It would have been my favorite thing that he'd ever done. So I'm good. If Demarcus gets a pass either way, right there. Yeah, I don't know why my my head went here too. For some reason, when I was thinking about Grinches. I was just like, I don't know. I feel like Andres Nocioni didn't like Christmas. I I don't know why. I don't really have a good reason for it. I just feel like he didn't. You know, he was kind of a grout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he really was, you know. It's like I, I think Beno Udrich was a good Christmas guy too. Oh, that makes it. Yeah, yeah, Beno, yeah, Beno, yeah, nice. Beno, <laughs> Beno, joyful, joyful guy. Uh, you know, basically, really easy to get along with. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's some, um, you know. That, that's that's Jerry just being nice to you before Christmas, Tony. That's all, <laughs> that's that all I needed for Christmas. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I too remember Tyreek being very into Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, just gonna run down all Tony's favorite <laughs> yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so Jerry, we're gonna roll over to you for the Reynolds wrap up. What do you got for us today? Well, you know, as as uh, just thinking, I was going through as old people do, getting ready to throw out stuff, and I was going through some stuff from early years in coaching, and I'd always kept a lot of quotes and things like that you know a lot of young people when you guys are young you know where your your lives are tougher finances <laughs> kids i mean really and i know you get and i was the same way and i and there's one that always struck me because i i, I kind of paid attention to it it would and i don't know what it meant but anyway i just thought you know it was you are braver than you believe stronger than you seem and smarter than you think and, and there was a lot of times when I needed to read that, you know, yeah. I mean, there's times when you just like, boy, where, where am I going? What's happening here? And then, you know, that kind of picked me up a little bit. I, I, I don't know who's the original uh, author of that, but I do know I, I read it in one of uh, John Wooden's books. And of course he was a very much a hero of mine. So anyway, just a little, little thought. Sometimes, uh, you know, when when uh, life's tough and it is tough uh, on young people today, tougher than ever, uh, anything you can find to kind of get a, just a reminder that uh, you'll get through it and uh, you got what it takes. I love it. I love it, Jerry. All righty, folks. Well, this will be uh, this, this may be our last episode before Christmas. Me and me and Tony and Jerry are going to have to wrestle with whether or not we do one on uh, right around the same time. But we'll uh, it'll be a surprise if we do one. You'll get one. If not, tough luck. We'll see you in the new year. So uh, on behalf of uh, the King's Herald, Tony and Jerry, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode. And uh, we'll see you soon. When that is, we'll let you know. Sure will. Will. <laughs> <laughs>